by return to chapter one, mostly today, and we'll touch on a bit of chapter two, but the Lord willing, we will perhaps be in chapter two prom proper next Sunday. Jonah chapter one, the fifth in the list of minor prophets is prophet Jonah. This is God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, fall out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account the e this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will, be, will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they would not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up John and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped about my head at the, root, at the roots of the mountain. Sorry. I'll repeat verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thus far, the reading of God's word, all of us are like grass, the grass with us, flowers fall, but God's word abides forever. And it is his word that we now seek to focus on. Let's pray once more. Oh, Heavenly Father, grant that our eyes would be opened, that we may see wondrous things in your law, and not just for entertainment, but for empowerment. Grant, O oh Lord, that we would be empowered to do your will. We please ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before looking at this section in chapter 2 that speaks to us about a severe mercy from God. Before we participate in this very solemn burial ceremony that took place in the oceans, a burial ceremony anywhere is very heart-wrenching. But this took place in the ocean, and I imagine I've not been a sailor. I imagine that would be even more uh, heart-wrenching as the coffin goes down into the waters, you clearly see it is done. Uh, before we look at that severe mercy, I wanted us to return a second time to when you try to run away from God. 
previously we saw that backsliding is a sad thing. We asked ourselves, what is it that happens to a person, a person whom we know, whom we see making a joyful profession of faith? He lives amongst God's people, but then he finds himself or herself in a spiritual wilderness or like Jonah in the belly of a fish. What happens to a person who belongs to a covenant community like Trinity Baptist Church, covenanted to be a member here? He or she walks with us. He talks with us. He sings with us. He prays with us. He goes out witnessing with us. And then in latter years, seems to be running away from God and we are confused. What's happening? to this person whom we have thought is a dear brother or a dear sister? What is involved in this kind of spiritual decline or backsliding from God? One of the greatest things in Jonah's uh, biographical, perhaps even autobiographical account, because perhaps he wrote it himself, is how the account of Jonah helps us to not only the primary message in the book of Jonah, if I was to give it another name or if I was to encapsulate the message of Jonah in just a few words, it would be the sovereignty of God, evangelism and the sovereignty of God. And it's clear that God is sovereign in evangelism and in evangelism we see the sovereignty of God. He he is sovereignly evangelistic, and he is evangelistic in his sovereignty. And we will see that as we go through the book of John. But I think another thing, secondarily, as we look at the man, because this account of Jonah, it seems to us that God is interested in not just telling us about evangelism, but in also showing us his dealings with a preacher a saint who is backslidden. One would even argue three chapters out of four are dedicated to that. And as we look at it, as we look at this account, it helps us to trace our own spiritual decline. It helps us to see how we may be restored back from spiritual declension. Backsliding, dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, is more common. It is a more common occurrence than many of us would want to admit. It is a much more characteristic feature. The lives of many who would not want to admit that it is the case for them. And Jonah holds up the mirror of God's word. In fact, he holds it up with a magnifying glass so that we are able to see ourselves in light of God's holy word. Jonah seems to be like a cat scan. He puts us in this place where we take an X-ray of ourselves in this autobiography. And we did observe the context of Jonah's backsliding is one that was shocking. Jonah, as we looked at 2 Kings chapter 14, First Kings as it is there, but Second Kings 14.25, we saw an account there that talks about Jonah. 
a successful prophet. For you to be a prophet, surely you have intimate fellowship with God. The prophet in the Old Testament is as near as it can be to be a New Testament saint. One who communes with God. One who hears God and speaks forth the things of God. Jonah had intimate fellowship with God. This Jonah whom we see backsliding here. Historically, he had had intimate fellowship with God in 2 Kings 14.25. Clearly, Jonah, in this particular time, because he comes into the scene just after Elijah and Elisha, it was a time of general declension in society, but the Lord was doing a new work. And we see this new work in the lives of people like Elijah and Elisha. And around that time of Elijah and Elisha, one phenomenon that we saw, that we see in scripture, is the school of the prophets. So it is highly likely that Jonah was part of the school of the prophets. He did not just have fellowship and communion with God. He was part of a community a vibrant spiritual community where he fellowshiped with brothers. He fellowshiped with those who had covenanted to be with God. And in, in 2 Kings 14.25, we also see that the word of the Lord through Jonah came to pass. So Jonah was a man who had been fruitful in ministry. This is the backdrop against which we find this dear saint who is in a backslidden state. And we see, we saw rather last time, two components of his backsliding in verse 3. We saw that he turned away from God's word, chapter 1, verse 3, that Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now that term, the presence of the Lord, many times is a technical term for serving God. Because God is omnipresent. So that when you stand before God, and later on perhaps if we have time I'll be able to show you cross-references on that. When you stand before God, you are actually serving God. When you choose to stand away from the presence of God, you are choosing not to serve Him. And in this particular case indeed, instead of going to the feast where Nineveh was, Jonah pays his fare to go against God's word that had told him, go east, he goes west, where Tarshish is. In fact, that word Tarshish can be translated nowhere. So he decided to go nowhere from the presence of God. He was in a hurry to go nowhere because God is everywhere. So there was a running, a turning away from God's word. God had said, go east, he goes west. And there was also a turning away from God's presence. Sort of reminds us of our first parents. And our first parents hear the voice of God in the garden. What do they do in their sinfulness? They flee. 
And that's what Jonah is doing here. Let's ask ourselves this afternoon in the few minutes we have together, what are the possible causes for backsliding? What could be possible causes for a saint of this magnitude to begin backsliding, to begin going away from the God whom he knows experientially and through the scriptures to be the one true and living God? There's a lot of conjecturing. There's a lot of propositions put forth by commentators on why Jonah ran away? Was it because of fearing the difficulty of the task? We are told Nineveh was great, a great city, which was renowned for its wickedness. A city of which Nineveh was the capital city, was a great power of the region. And it was a wicked place. Therefore, the greatest threat to Israel's independence. Could Jonah have had, have had, could Jonah have been suffering from great doubts about success when it comes to uh, getting into such a mission? Was he wondering, will they really listen? How will they respond? Was, was that? What was going through his mind, it's possible. Because this is akin to taking a Jew who has suffered at the hands of the Nazis and telling him, go and preach the gospel to the very people who are baying for your blood. It is a fearsome task. Could Jonah have been afraid? How would you feel if you are told today Go right into the Al-Shabaab camp in Mogadishu and preach the gospel to them. Well, maybe that's too far, far-fetched. How would you feel like if you were told, go to Isili on Friday at noon next to the mosque? Yes, in fact, inside the mosque and preach the gospel. Fearful, isn't it? So it's a possibility. And John Calvin suggests that Jonah may have feared hostility of the Ninevites towards his message and his person. And many missionaries have had to face great peril. The number of those who have lost their lives because of their faithful witness for Christ is not a few. And we can appreciate the temptation to flee when such dangers were anticipated, when such difficulties in gospel work were a possibility, they are a real experience that God's servants have. They may well have been born in Jonah's mind, although the fact is God's word does not tell us that he was fearful of either lack of success or the hostility of the Assyrians? Was it perhaps because of the uniqueness, the novelty of his mission? Nineveh was heathen. Was Jonah put off by the same kind of mindset that the Apostle Peter struggles with in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 10? 
when he's being told to go and preach to Cornelius's family, it's very unique, it's very new. Was that the possibility? We know God persuades the Apostle Peter in Acts 10, 17, that the vision he had is indeed from him, and he goes to, to, to Cornelius's place. So maybe an anti-Gentile prejudice could have influenced Jonah. But again, we have no conclusive proof in the scriptures about this. Though for you and me, these two are possible reasons why Christians pull back from the realities of standing for the truth. We look at the situation and we are afraid of bringing up the gospel in a situation where it's me against my family. It's me against my family during times that are high stakes time, a wedding, cultural events, uh, uh, a funeral, Christmas Day, you don't want to be the one who messes up Christmas Day, and you just backtrack because of fear. We, we may experience that. We may experience fear when we are called to preach amongst the people in a situation we have never done. That's a possibility. Was it the severity of the message that made Jonah afraid? because Jonah is clearly called to go out and call out against Nineveh. It was going to be a harsh message. And there are so many preachers today who are shy and who retreat from the scriptures when it comes to preaching the doctrine of judgment. The law and its consequences of breaking it, both in the present and in the eternal scheme of things, is not a popular message. It's not a popular subject. And many preachers may be tempted to soft pedal on the hard sayings of the Bible and hope that only the warm encouragements, the warm entreaties, the warm promises of the gospel without the terrors of the law are all that they should present in their preaching. The Bible, however, shows us as we look at God's servants, particularly as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, the God's Son, that they did not fail to include both the entreaties of the gospel and the terrors of obeying, of disobeying God's law in their preaching. Again, however, here there is no evidence that Jonah retreated from going to Tashish because of this. So what, and this could affect us also. There are many times when we look at it and we just say, uh, preaching in the bus, uh, and to tell them they are going to hell uh, if they don't repent, and we pull back. We pull back, and many preachers who would preach on the buses will rarely, will, will, very, very rarely, Will you ever hear them talking about judgment? It's always about the entreaties of the gospel and how God means to do you well. But God does not have good plans for somebody who is opposed to them. The sinner, and if you're here as a sinner, you need to first and foremost know the bad news before the good news makes sense to you. You are on a collision path with God. And unless you repent and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you are headed for destruction. The good news does not make sense to many people because they think they are doing God a favor when they become Christians. No, God is merciful to you that he's allowed you. So what then? I propose a fourth, which I see as the real reason. The real reason for Jonah's backsliding is God's abounding love. And we have the evidence in the book of Jonah itself. After he preaches in Nineveh and they repent, in chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting in disaster. This can be explained in a number of ways. Jonah, anticipating that God would show mercy to Nineveh in spite of his message of total destruction, did not want to be thought of as a false prophet. If I tell you guys, you will be destroyed. And then you are not destroyed. And people say, Eric, you are a false prophet. Then, then maybe one could say, maybe Jonah had the assumption that uh, Jonah's prophecy of judgment was a prediction and not a warning designed to stir the people to repentance. And we know of such situations, like in Exodus 32, uh, I think 9 to 14, we have the account there after, after they worshipped the 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 golden calf god declared his purpose to destroy the people but he relented when moses interceded for them so god was warning them he wasn't predicting and so is it that jonah was saying maybe i'm struggling with whether this is a prediction or a warning and i'm going to preach it as if it's a prediction but it will turn out it was a warning and i'll be called a false prophet jonah was more concerned perhaps for the honor of God, than for his own reputation, some may say. Some commentators have said he did not want anyone to think that God is like man who changes his mind. So he ran away to avoid having to preach a message that he suspected God would not carry out. But I think far more compelling and more at home with us when it comes to, to backsliding, from moving away from God's word and God's presence, is Jonah did not want to face the possibility that God would in the end be gracious to Nineveh. Well, that sounds strange. Why would that be a problem to Jonah? You see, this is a prophet who previously has said concerning his nation that our territory is going to expand. We are going to push out the enemy. And it does happen. Now Jonah is going to preach to the very enemies of God's people. He has a reputation back at home for being the man who declared God's word concerning our prosperity. 
And now is he going to have the reputation for being the man who declared to us about the prosperity of our enemies? Traitor prophet. How can you, how dare you side with our enemies? And perhaps Jonah shrinks at the fact that my reputation back at home is going to highly be affected. And so Jonah says, I knew what the problem was all along. The problem was that you are asking me, oh God, to go to people who are my sworn enemies, these Assyrians, who within a matter of, of decades ended up coming against the people of God with the intention of destroying them. And so we have a question here. If this matter of reputation was indeed the cause of him deciding, I'm going to take my time 50 to 60 miles from his home place to Joppa, where he took the, the ship. Now, in, in terms of transportation system then, that's a number of days of traveling. 50 uh, times 1.6 to make it kilometers. That could be three days of traveling. You're basically saying moving from here to around Naivasha on feet and beyond, potentially beyond, before you can get to Joppa, where you're going to take the boat to go with you to Tashish. He was determined not to go to Nineveh, he was willing to obey God as long as it was within his nation, as long as his reputation was not at stake. But when it came to God's word touching him, in areas where he seems to have drawn the line on the sun and said, I'm going to obey you up to here. Send me to my own people. Send me to Judah. Anytime, 24-7, I will go. Ask me to do, ask me to arrange seats in the church. I'll do that, but don't tell me about evangelism. Don't tell me about evangelism. I will go the opposite direction. Don't tell me about prioritizing my family in this way. With all the education I have, how will I look like in our class WhatsApp group when pe people are sending, selling their Range Rover houses? I'm selling my Range Rover 4.6. And uh, I cannot, I, I don't want it anymore. I want to upgrade. And you're thinking, why? I was in class with this chap. This chap was, was never seeing me in class. I was almost always the one explaining what the teacher was saying because they didn't understand. I now see. And it's not because I didn't have openings there in the, in the market, in the marketplace. I chose not to be corrupt. I chose not to do things in the way that has elevated them. I now see. will marry in the Lord, perhaps you say. I am determined to marry in the Lord. Scripture is clear to me. 
then you begin seeing the 40s around the horizon. And there is pressure back at home. As sadly, some of our parents would do. When am I having grandchildren? You're not even married. And it's, it's a vexation on you. It's a vexation on you. An unbeliever shows up. And your reputation is on the line. And many, many other situations that we can talk about, brothers and sisters, are you prepared to allow God's word to touch you in those areas where in your Christian privilege, you have so far managed to avoid him? You have been faithful this far. But are you willing, like he spoke to the young rich ruler, to be told, go and sell your things? Then he is offered a privilege that not many were offered. Then come and follow me. That privilege was not given to those words who are being given to few people at that time. Come, follow me was not a word that the Lord dispensed lightly. The young rich ruler heard them. But he had drawn the line on the sand. When God tells you, my child, I'm calling you in this area. Die to self in order that you may live for me. Are you willing to obey God's will? This, dear brothers and sisters, is a call to obey God's will. When God tells you, dear wife, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, do you roll your eyes at that? When, dear brothers, God tells you, love your wife as Christ loved his church, be selfless, be a servant. Be sacrificial in your love for him. Lay down your life when you are tempted to ensure the world is revolving around you, having come back from work on a difficult day. The rubber meets the road on such days. Especially when the person who is to be loved is not lovable. You look at her you try to look into her eyes, you are not seeing something lovely. Is that where you draw the line when it comes to obeying God? The question that confronted Jonah and confronts you is whether you are going to obey God's will for your life in all areas or not. Behind the claim of obedience is the deepest consideration of all. We obey even when we are facing pain because the eternal plan and purpose of God is a thing we are participating in during those times of obedience. The purpose of God's love for his chosen people a people from all nations in the world. So that when you are faced with such situations where the temptation is to, to have partial obedience, you remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world 
And John 3.16 causes you to obey in areas where many would not obey. You become like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Philippians 2.4-11. Who made himself nothing. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I plead with you in the Lord, obey God's word, keep his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. When you come across human wisdom that is anti-God's will, Pursue God's will if you are his child. I plead with you to enjoy God's victory. If God is victorious in a particular circumstance, rejoice even if in the temporary scheme of things you are suffering. If the Ninevites are going to repent as a result of your faithfulness and God has victory in that sense, rejoice even if it means that when you come back home, people look down their nose at you. If God is victorious in your being faithful at work, you declare your per diems, you declare your expenditure as it is, and your colleagues hate you, they do not want to go with you for any work trips because they are fudging around on receipts, buying receipt books from River Road and writing for themselves and, and having relationships with Uber drivers and Bolt drivers so that falsified travel receipts are being sent. And you are presenting a third, a quarter of what the others are presenting. And now you are hated at work. If you're not hoping in exams, dear students, and God is being victorious in your being salt and light in that college, rejoice. Even if those around you, even if fellow human beings scorn at you, for so did they do to the prophets. Rejoice for your reward is great and it is in heaven. Know God's revealed will is a thing that cannot be overemphasized here when it comes to this particular matter. Know the will of God. Be in the word. Be in the word because as we now would see in the consequences of backsliding, of Jonas backsliding. If you are not in the word, you are going to begin trusting your circumstances instead of clear scripture. And that's a terrible consequence of this kind of backsliding. Jonah began to trust in his circumstances in which he found himself rather than the word of God for his direction. And when we reject God's word, when we reject the presence of God, we begin pulling away from the hearing of the preaching, from the gathering of the saints as we are doing right now. 
you dear brother, you dear sister will find yourself leaning more heavily on your circumstances than on God's word for your guidance. Just as Jonah gets to the harbor in Joppa, his intention, remember, is to flee to Tarshish. And there is a tout saying, Wamwisho, Wamwisho, Wamwisho Tarshish. Last passenger, hop in. We've been waiting all along. Please run into the ship. It's very easy for him to begin thinking, ah, God is so merciful. God is so merciful to me. See how he's giving me more time to go and think quietly about his will over this matter. What thoughts may have flashed in the mind of Jonah? God is merciful. Yes, just see me, I'm running away. Here I am running away from him, needing space from him and the brethren in the church. See how he is providing for me the very boat I need to go to Tashish. And for some of you, the boat is live streaming. And you think, ah, internet. And it is fast. This is not the internet of our father's times when by the time the photo was downloaded, the person was old. This is fast internet. I can be at home and I'm like, I'm a church and I become a bedside Baptist. Be careful. Be careful. And for some of you sinful things, whenever, whenever your wife sins against you, it's sort of like pornography pops on your screen. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Whenever you are broke, opportunities to be bribed show up. Be careful. What? It seems to be a friendly providence, as we know the story from chapter 2, is not a friendly providence. The sheep lying in Joppa Harbor was not meant to be a means of escape from God's clearly revealed word. It was meant to be a terrible instrument in the hands of God to bring his servant back to his senses. This providence must not be confused as God-given guidance at all. See such providences as a test, a test to you and me, dear Jonas, at those times when we are faced with the temptation to be wayward. In fact, when we are in our shameful wayward behaviors. Sinclair Ferguson says, do not be guided by providences when you are refusing to be guided by God's word. Do not take events of your daily life as your instructor when you have not taken God's word as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. C.H. Spurgeon at some point says, 
I had a friend in class who would throw something when he was angry. Spurgeon said, what struck me forcibly was not that he got angry, nor that he threw something when he was angry, but that whenever he was angry, there was something at hand to throw. When we have a heart to rebel against God, there will frequently be the providential means put before us as an opportunity. Sinclair Ferguson again at some point says, when we are on the run from God, his providences are wise tests. They are not gracious excuses. And I plead with you, please, if you've had that habit of excusing yourself, when you know you are running away from God and then something shows up that seems to be a fitting excuse to run away from the word and to run away from the presence of God, touching your life in an area where you've drawn a line and said, thus far and no further, be careful. And Jonah begins to have a conduct that contradicts his confession. He begins to have a practice that contradicts his profession. This man who knew someone 39 forwards and backwards, where can you flee from the presence of God? He's now fleeing from the presence of God. He knows you cannot. And yet he is living a life opposite his profession. And such a person will have the inability to be of use in a crisis. You become powerless in a time of great spiritual crisis. There is a tempest and you're sleeping in a cyclone. Asleep, snoring, and the tornado is going on. The earthquake is going on and everyone is crying for dear life. But you're so powerless. You're woken up by pagans. Pagans are telling you, pray. Non-believers are the ones now telling you, do something, pray. Compare that with the Apostle Paul in Acts 27. Similar circumstances, a storm. Jonah had never heard, humanly speaking, a more opportune time to preach the gospel during that tempestuous squall. But he can't. He has become unable, disabled in a crisis, utterly powerless. Paul, on the other hand, in Acts 27, rises up and speaks to the people. And he says, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Acts 27, 33 and 34. Oh, such an opposite situation. And we find ourselves powerless in moments of crisis because we've been running away from the presence of God and the word of God. You become ashamed of your personal testimony. Remember those questions asked 
Tell us whose account, on whose account this evil has come on us, John 1.8. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah answers all those questions except what his occupation is. Because to say his occupation was a shameful thing. He knew he was running away from it. Second, lastly, you give up grace. You give up on God's grace of possibly ever being useful. And you just say, throw me, throw me into the ocean. You become despondent. You become a Christian who does not have hope. These are bad things. These are consequences that we must run away from. And if you're not careful, if you're not alert, at this point, you could very easily begin confusing communion, confusing usefulness with Communion with God. Because Jonah was useful. These pagans worship Yahweh. By the time he's thrown into the ocean, these people who are previously praying to the gods are now praying to Yahweh. He's, he's been useful there. He's been thrown into the ocean, results into peace. He's been useful, but is he in communion with God? Many, many people confuse the two. They've lulled themselves into, into not seeing these are the consequences. And just because I'm putting something in the offering basket, I think I'm okay. I know what I typed. And I know the total amount that was collected that month. I knew, I know what percentage of the total amount accrues to me. And yet you've been running away from God and his word. Let us be careful. And let us turn to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the greater than Jonah, who spoke, peace be still, and the tempest ceased, without him being thrown into the ocean. But we know, peace be still in our lives, as the Lord speaks it and it works out, has come about because like Jonah, he was three days in the belly of the fish. Let us flee to Jesus Christ.